Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning. morning. Um, You know, it's, it's funny how your mind can work. Have you ever been just sitting there and you have this thought that you hadn't had in years? You're like, oh, I forgot all about that. Well, that happened to me this week when I was thinking about this TV show that I used to watch years ago. It was called The Six Million Dollar Man. Can I get a witness? All right. Steve Linhart loves The Six. Now, this was a t- this is like one of those TV shows that was before, it, uh, before its time. And what it is, it's about this astronaut that when he was re-entering into Earth's atmosphere, something happens and his uh, vessel crashes on the ground. And every episode always started with that, with the astronaut the, coming into and, and crashing into the ground. And this is what was always said, Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than, better than he was before. Better. Stronger. Faster. That's right. And then it would, it would break into the theme song. And it would show uh, this new, he would get, he got a new, I think it was his right arm was new. And he got, was it two legs? And this eye. This bionic eye. And you knew he was using his bionic eye when he did this. There was this look. And and as a kid, I would practice that. And another thing that was cool about that show is that whenever he would get into motion, it was always slow motion. And it would be like... And whatever he was... It was like... And he would be like, break it back. And I would practice that at home as a young boy. But that has nothing to do with my message. Other than, it says that he was a $6 million man. Why? Because they said it cost $6 million to build him. Now, I can't imagine what that would be today. He would be the $6 billion, trillion maybe, in, in our economy today with the deficit. But it's one of those things where it was a, a vast amount of money back then, and it would be today. I mean, what if today I gave you $6 million? I want you to really... Try to get, get your head around that. Tim, I wonder how many of your players would still be around if I gave $6 million today, right? If you were given $6 million, what would you do with it? Think about that. Now, what if I told you that down in the fellowship hall, Sonora, down in the fellowship hall, there is a billionaire. I mean, he's got money. And this week he told me, that everybody that comes to church and goes down there during the service will get six, every person will get six million dollars. It's down there waiting for you. All right, listen, I met a guy this week that's a billionaire, and he said, James, and this is, I'm included in this, that during your sermon, if, every, if whoever goes down there, I will give them six million dollars, okay? I'm just, letting you know, that's, I'm just letting you know that there's somebody down there right now that will give you $6 million if you get up right now and go down there. <laughs> well, this morning, 
as we're continuing our study in the book of Genesis, we've come to the account of a guy named Abram. Um, Up to this point, God has been very broad with humanity, but now he is going to zero in on one man, and from this one man, he's going to to bring forth a nation. Now, his name was Abram. God's going to change his name later, but right now, Abram means exalted father, and most of us know that he's going to change his name to Abraham because Abraham literally means father of many. God has a plan for Abraham. He's going to take Abraham, and he's going to cause him to prosper. And when I was growing up, and maybe you remember this when you were growing up, there was this song we used to sing. It's called Father Abraham. I almost did it this morning for praise and worship, but I thought it probably wouldn't go over well. But it goes like this, and I'm not going to sing it, but it said, if you know it, say it with me, okay? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. Okay, so you would do this. It was a kid's song. Okay, see? All right, I see who we got out here tonight. All right, we're going to close with that after communion. But anyway, it's one of them songs I loved to do as a kid because it would be right arm, left arm, and then you're, you got your legs, and then you turn around. And it gave, I was a mischievous kid, so I could praise God and hurt people, you know. <laughs> but anyway, at the time, I didn't understand why Abraham was called Father Abraham, but now I do. And there's two main reasons he is called Father Abraham. Number one, it's because he is the physical father of the physical nation of Israel. If you are of Jewish descent, you can trace your lineage straight back to Abraham. He was the first Hebrew. He was, he was the father of the Jews. Secondly, he is called Father Abraham because he is also the father of the spiritual nation of Israel, the spiritual nation. In other words, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are part of that spiritual nation. And if you do a Google search and type in Father of faith, Abraham's name will be the top name that comes up on there. Galatians 3, 7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the children of Abraham. Those who are of faith who are the children of Abraham. He is called the father of faith because he is an example to us. Abraham is an example to us of what faith is. Saving faith looks like in the life of a believer. And while we're talking about faith, let's define what I'm talking about here. Because faith is one of those words that's, that's a buzzword that can be thrown around in our culture. Most people, or many people in our culture, would say, you know, I'm a person of faith. Uh, that could mean various things. And, and the truth is, we all are people of faith. Did you know that? You may be an atheist, but you still have faith in something. We all have faith in something. What gets you out of bed every day often can be faith. Faith can also be in the future. Have you ever put your faith in the future? You're like, if I can just get past this, if I can get past these exams, if I can get past this, these ages in my ch- children right now, if I can get past you, then my life is going to be good. But let me ask you this. <clears throat> Is there anybody that's in your life that you're trying to please right now? 
Is there somebody in your life that you are trying to please? That may, and it may not be, but it may be where your faith is. It could be your parents. It could be a, a teammate. It could be a coach or a boss. It could be various things. But you've got your, and you know that your faith is in them because if you let them down, it causes you to go down. Okay? So that's how you know what your faith is in. And this morning, the faith that I want to look at is the faith that Abraham had. Because there was somebody he was seeking to please. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 1, it defines what true faith is. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation, or they were praised. We know this, right? We love to talk about guys in the Bible who walked by faith and followed God, and we, we give them praise. But not only us, do we, we're not the only ones who give those guys praise and those ladies praise, but God gives praise to those who walk by faith. Let's look at Hebrews 11.6. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Did you see that? It's impossible to please. Who's him? God. It's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And Abraham, he had this kind of faith. God was his object of faith. And it pleased God. So the question I want all of us to ask this morning is this. Do you, do you have true faith? Ask, I want you to ask yourself. You're the only one that can ask yourself this and be truthful about it. Do you have true faith? The kind that pleases God. And if you're taking notes this morning, I have five observations from our text that I want to look at that can help us to discern what true faith looks like. And the first truth I want to point out is that true faith calls. True faith calls. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord, the Lord said to Abram, Go. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I, that I will show you. Now, when we're seeking to follow the Lord, the first thing, and as we're seeking to walk by faith, the first thing that we need to understand about true faith is that true faith begins with a call or an invitation from God to us to enter into his work, okay? This, it's not something that we come up with. It's not something that we invent and that we bring to God. When Abraham, he did not wake up one day and said, hey, you know what? I want to forsake my family, my land, and I'm going to go to a land I don't know where I'm going. God, would you help me to do that? That's not what happened here. God came to Abram, and he was the one who pursued Abram, even when Abraham wasn't looking for God. Do you realize that when God found Abram, Abram was living in the land of idolaters? His uh, family worshipped the moon. In other words, Abraham 
Before God called him, was worshiping, he was a moon worshiper. And you know what? That's good news to me. That should be good news to you that Abraham was a moon worshiper because God did not call him because he was righteous. You need to hear that. God did not see Abraham and go, man, that dude's got it all together. I'm calling him. That's not who God calls. God does not call someone because they are righteous, but he called Abraham and he calls you and me to bring us into his righteousness. He calls us back to him. So Abraham is worshiping the moon. God pursue, this is the pattern of Genesis. God pursues Abraham and says, hey, turn away from your moon and come back to me because I created the moon. Come to the one who created it. Jesus also affirms this about not being righteous in Luke Chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician. Isn't that pretty common knowledge? If you feel good, you usually don't go to the doctor. Who goes to the doctor? But those who are sick. And then Jesus says, I have come to call, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That should be good news to you, that God, wherever you are this morning, that God is calling you to come and be a part of what he is doing and to become righteous through what he has done. So the first truth I want us to see this morning is that true faith calls us to enter into the work of God. Secondly, true faith costs. True faith costs Now remember, God says, go. Go where? He says, go from your country, go from your family, go from your religion. He says, forsake everything that is familiar to you and go to the land that I will later show you. Because Hebrews 11 says that when Abraham got the call and he went out, it says he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't even know exactly where he was going, and that's how God works. God does not, when we're walking by faith, he rarely, if ever, gives you the full picture of what's going to happen. Basically, what he says is, come here, trust me right here, and take a step. And then once you take that step, I'll meet you there, and I'll show you where else to go. It's usually day by day. He gives us daily manna to walk by. He doesn't typically give us or reveal the entire picture at one time. And so what God says to Abram is this, trust me, trust me and go. And you know that word go, it's interesting that it, it, all, it can also mean to vanish or to die or to pass away. In other words, Abram had to, he had to count the costs And understand that when I leave my family and everything, it's as if I'm dead to it and I'm coming to be alive to God. And every disciple, every true disciple of Jesus must come to a place in their life. If you're going to walk by faith and you're going to truly be a disciple, you must count the costs. Every single one of us must count the cost if we're going to follow Jesus. You know, in in Luke 14, 
there's these large crowds that are following Jesus. Jesus was very popular because he was healing the sick and feeding people. And, and there were large crowds following him. And he turns around to them and he says, look, if anyone comes to me, and this is crazy what he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his kids, if he doesn't hate his own life, if you don't hate your own life, you cannot be my disciple. And then he gives this illustration of, of, a, of a tower. He says, who builds a tower without first sitting down and counting the cost to see if you have enough to build that tower? Because it's, it's humiliating to start something like a building and then it to be abandoned. And people walk by and go, what happened here? And so Jesus says, I want you to follow me. But before you do, before you do, count the costs. True faith says, count the cost before you enter. Because true faith calls us to die to calling the shots. If you're going to follow Jesus, he says, I am the king. Now, we talked about this with the, the men on Friday when we had guys night, that there's only room in the kingdom for one king, and his name is Jesus, right? And so he calls us to bow our knee to him and to come under his rule. And, you know, this can be scary, and it can get you out of your comfort zone if, you really, if you're really going to walk by faith. Maybe it's... Maybe it's um, you're at work or you're at school and you've got that, that colleague or that friend that you know that doesn't know Jesus and by faith you hear the call. Hey, start building a relationship with that person. Talk to them about me. Has anyone ever had that? And it's, it can be scary. And God's like, just step out in faith. And talk to them. But you know what? There's a risk there. Because you might lose that relationship. And you also might have a reputation where you're at. That's not one that people really are praising you. They're putting you down. My father-in-law, uh, one of the most godly men I know, tells a story about he used to work in a factory back when he was younger. And he would share the gospel with those who were around him. And he soon got this nickname. They called him, oh, there's John the Baptist. There's John the Baptist. They were mocking him, which really that should be a badge, a badge of glory, isn't it? If we can be persecuted truly for living for Jesus. But we have to understand that there is often a cost. Sometimes that cost may come in, in, um, at your doorstep. God may bring it to your doorstep in the form of a need, a need, a need that you can meet. Okay, Not that you can bring to the church and let somebody else meet that need. But he brings it to you for you to meet. It can be something that's financial. It could be something as uh, simple as picking up somebody for a ride. Um, here's the one I, I really hate, um, don't like. Hey, man, can I borrow that thing that you have? Am I the only one that's like that? When someone said, hey, can I borrow that? And it's some, if it's something I don't care about, oh, yeah. 
But if it's, especially if I just bought it. And you know why? Because you know if somebody borrows that, it's going to get broken. It is guaranteed it's going to get broken. Because How do I know that? Because I've borrowed other people's stuff and broke it too. And it's just one of those things that I have to be willing. Am I willing to count everything under the kingdom of Christ? And that's what the call is, that we need to count the cost. And I'm staying here for just a minute here because we need to understand this, that true faith costs. It's not easy. Listen to what Jesus says about true faith. He says in Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. It's easy to live a life of destruction. But in verse 14, he says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard or difficult that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus is saying that walking by true faith is not going to be easy. Being in fellowship with one another. Listen, church, being in fellowship with one another, true fellowship is not going to be easy. Why? Because we all can be annoying at times, right? Working through conflict is not easy. It's easier to kind of just, I'm done with that and walk away. Opening up your life and loving and inviting people into your life is not natural for many. And it's not easy. And if you walk by faith, if you truly walk by faith, we all need to understand that you're going to get used. You will get used. You will get misunderstood. You will be falsely accused. It's going to come with the territory. And when that happens... You know what happens? It makes you just want to quit. I just want to, I don't even want to be, a, I just want to quit and walk away. You know, if I'm going to be real with you, there's seasons in my life where I'm like, I'm, I want to be like Abraham. I just want to sell everything, go to some place I don't even know where I'm going, and nobody else knows I'm there either, right? I just want to quit. That's part of counting the cost, though. And understanding that the true walk of faith is not going to ever be easy. And the question I have to ask myself and ask you is, why don't you quit? Why do you keep persevering? It's because you've got some kind of motivation, don't you? If you keep persevering in your faith, there's something, there's some motivation that you have. Abraham had a motivation. What was it? Well, this brings us to our third truth. Abraham knew that faith compensates. Faith compensates or faith rewards. And so when God called Abraham or Abram, he didn't just say, go, go over there. He gives him some promises to stand on, to motivate him and to encourage him. These promises are known as the Abrahamic covenant. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to go over them again. There's three things he promised here. He promised him land, he promised him descendants, and he promised him blessing. He says, go to the land, I will show you. And then he says, I will make you into a great nation. Now, this is, this is interesting because if we backed up in chapter 11, it says that Sarai, 
who is going to be called Sarah later, was barren. So he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and Sarah. But she can't have children. So it's going to have to be a promise that's brought forth by God. And this is a twofold promise about being, having descendants. There's going to be the physical nation, and there's going to be the spiritual nation, like we talked about earlier. And then he promises blessing. That's the third one. He says, I will bless you and make your name great. I'm going to say that again. He said, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. That's in contrast to last week's passage, the Tower of Babel. They were trying to make a name for themselves. And God said, no, we're not doing it that way. But when God makes a name for you, it's a name that will last for eternity. And he says, I'm going to, make you, I'm going to bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to make your life fruitful and productive so that when people are around you, that you come in contact with, they are going to get blessed by you. Let me ask you this. Is your life a blessing? Is your life a blessing to those who are around you? And he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. This is a, a, a promise of protection. If they, if they bless you, they're going to get blessed. If they curse you, I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to protect you. And in and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Ultimately, the entire earth is going to be blessed because of Abraham. And we know that this was ultimately fulfilled when Jesus came to earth. So if you'll remember back in Genesis 3, verse 15, Adam and Eve have sinned, and God promises, I'm going to send a Savior, right? Remember that? Well, this is, this is where it's going to get real. He's narrowing it down. This Savior is going to come through you, Abraham. God rewards those who seek him by faith. There is a reward for following Jesus. And Jesus says this in Matthew 19, verses 27 through 29. Peter said to him, See, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus. What then will we have? Now notice that Jesus doesn't go, look, don't worry about what you're going to get. Just follow me. Now, there are some people that will say you shouldn't, you know, don't be motivated by what you get. This passage teaches us be motivated by what you get. Okay, there is a part of, of, of your motivation that comes from what you get. Verse 28 says, Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And verse 29, And everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. This morning, are you considering, maybe you're considering following Christ this morning. You know you're not following him yet, but you're considering following him. Well, let me, let me encourage you in two, two ways. Number one, I want to encourage you, count the cost. Count the cost. But understand that the reward to follow him are greater than the costs. Truth number four that I want us to see here is that, that true faith cultivates obedience. True faith cultivates obedience or produces obedience. Now, 
as I said before, God made Abraham some, some really good promises, didn't he? And I, we're gonna, I want you all to think with me about something. In order for him to receive these promises, I want you to think, don't, don't answer yet, but what did Abraham have to do? I want you to think, what did Abraham have to do? Because when I was thinking about this this week, I was like, what did he need to do? And you know what my first thought was? He needs to obey, get up, and go. But the only problem with that is that in a few weeks we're going to be, Lord willing, we're going to be in chapter 15 where God talks about the covenant and renews the covenant again. And in chapter 15, we're going to see that the covenant that God gives to Abram, this covenant, these three promises, are unconditional, unilateral. It's a unilateral covenant. That means that there's only one party that has to do something in order for it to go through. And in this relationship, who is it? It's God. It's not Abram. So I thought about it a little bit more. I'm like, you mean he just sits there? Well, a unilat- let me go over what a unilateral covenant is kind of like. It's kind of like dads or husbands. Um, I've made that kind of covenant with my family. I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter what you do. I'm getting up in the morning. If I have the strength, I'm getting up in the morning. I'm going to work. I'm going to provide, and I'm going to come home to you. That is a unilateral covenant. You can mess up the house. You can throw things, and, but I'm going to deal with it when I get home. But it's one of those things that it's, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to do anything for me to do my part. And that's similar to what's happening in this covenant. But didn't Abraham have to get up and leave his country? Didn't he need to obey? Well, obedience is involved, okay? But it is not the first step. It is not the first step. And this is, this is the key. This right here, what I'm about to share, is the key to walking in true faith. Look at, uh, let's look at Hebrews 11, 8, 9. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed. You see that? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. What does that mean, by faith? Think of what does that really mean to, by faith, obey? Well, it is very clear to me very clear to me that none of you believed a word I said at the beginning of my message when I said there's a billionaire down in the basement with $6 million for everybody who will go down there during my message. How do I know that? How do I know you didn't believe that? Because you're all still here. If you believed, now if you really believed that, it would have produced in you this Dang, I'm out of here, right? I'm getting up and I'm going. There, you may not have even known where you were going. You would have run through the whole building till you found that. It wouldn't have been the six million. The six million dollars wasn't dependent upon you getting up and going down. It was already down there, and you believing that is what produced would have produced you getting up and going. And in a similar way, that's what happens with Abram. Abram heard the call that there was $6 million waiting for him in the land of Canaan. And guess what? He believed it. 
And it produced in him this obedience to get up and go. See, that's what the kind of faith that pleases God. Because what it does is it produces a heart that is willing and eager to serve God. That's why we need to walk first by faith, not obedience. Now, obedience is important. Obedience is proof that you believe. But we want to start with faith. That you truly, if you're having a hard time right now following Jesus, and it seems like drudgery and like, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be around God's people. And you know what what you have probably is a faith problem. Because faith is what produces that desire to serve God and the kind that pleases him. Because you know what? Abraham could have obeyed, not from faith, but from fear. Man, I don't want God to strike me down. Therefore, I'm going to get up and do what he says. That's not how God wants us to to, um, relate to him. He wants us to to relate from a heart that is rejoicing, not looking uh, to to serve him because we're afraid to be punished. And that's what the gospel is. That's what the good news about Christ is, that if you will truly believe that God loves you. Now, we hear that all the time. Your creator, the one that created you, loves you. He is not wanting to punish you. He doesn't, he's not trying to get you under his wing and into a, a church so, so we can come up here and just beat you down week after week and make you feel horrible. He doesn't want to punish you. How do I know that? Because he punished his son instead so that I wouldn't have to be punished. Now listen, if you truly get that, and it may be you got it 30 years ago. We got to get it fresh on a daily basis. But if we truly get that, something comes alive in me and goes, man, I want to obey God. And that's the kind of faith that Abraham walked by. And when we understand that Jesus died for us, that he was buried, and that he rose again, when you believe that he rose again, that he's really alive and that you're on his side, under his authority, it, does so, it takes away fear. That is the kind of faith that Abraham had. Now, we need to understand a fifth truth. That, listen, if you're going to get serious about following Jesus, if you're really going to get serious, you need to understand that your faith will be challenged. You need to understand that your faith is going to be tested challenged or tested, guaranteed God will bring some tests into your life. And you know, Abraham, he is as as great of an example of what it looks like to, to walk in faith. He's also an example of what it looks like to walk in unbelief. That's the rest of this passage, right? Because God allows this famine, okay? Abraham goes out and he follows him goes to the land of Canaan, and God allows a trial to to settle down upon the land. A famine comes into the land to test Abraham's faith. And what does he do? He gets up, and he goes down to Egypt. Now, when God's people go to Egypt in the Bible, usually it is not a good thing. It it rarely works out good, and this this case is no exception to that. But you know, as he's going down there, he looks at Sarah. Sarai. He goes, girl, you look good. You look good. And 
and I know it, and everybody knows it. And when we go down there, they're going to want to get rid of me if they know you're my wife so they can get to you. So, hey, will you, like, uh, tell everybody you're my sister? Yeah, that's a good plan. He's trying to deceive. He's not walking by faith. How do I know he's not walking by faith? Because he's afraid, right? And, he, and when you're not walking by faith, when you're not walking with God, you have to protect yourself. And when you have to protect yourself, when you walk in unbelief, you're going to do things that you shouldn't do. And, uh, you know, this is the, the father of, this is Father Abraham. This is um, our father of faith. This is the father of faith doing this. He is hiding behind his wife. And gentlemen, unless you don't get this, this is not a good example. This is not a good example. And it appears that Abraham has forgotten the covenant already that God told him. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. If you follow me, you're bulletproof. So he didn't need to walk in fear. And so when they get down there, sure enough, the Egyptians look at Sarah. They see she's beautiful. She says, I'm his sister. They take her. And, you know, Abraham gets a bunch of uh, cattle and livestock for this. This is not teaching that, you know, when you sin, you get blessed for it. Okay, that's not what this passage is teaching. In verse 17, it says, but the Lord, but the Lord. I love that. Because the Lord's still there. Even when Abraham is not walking in faith. God's still there. It says, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your, your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. So this is clear that Abram failed. Abram stumbled. He blew it. And I love to, to sit here and think, what, I wonder what, when Sarah came back to him, I wonder what kind of conversations they were, they were having with each other. But as, uh, as dark as this is, this is actually an, a very encouraging passage for me. It's encouraging on two levels. Number one, it shows us who our God is. It shows us that even though Abram did a bonehead thing, and he went down to Egypt, and he did something that uh, was, was very unmanly, that God was merciful, that he's gracious, he's forgiving, and, he, and he's kind. But it also teaches us that if you're going to walk by faith, you're going to have to learn to walk by faith. Our, our faith has got to grow and mature. And, and fortunately, we're going to see later on in, in the passages of Genesis that Abraham's faith does grow. He's going to do some great things by faith that I don't know that even I could do. And this also teaches us that we need to be patient, don't we? If you're trying to learn to walk by faith and you've just started, you need to be patient 
with, with your growth. You need to be diligent, but you need to be faith, patient, understanding that faith grows and mature. And we also need to be patient with one another. I should have gotten an amen on that one. We need to be patient with one another, don't we? We've got people in this room who don't know when it's, when it's um, dealing with faith, who are very new. They don't know their right hand from their left. And then we have people in this room who are further down the spectrum who've been walking so long with God that, that they, don't, um, they don't know how to move their right and their left anymore. So they're, they're, we're, in, we're on different spectrums here in the faith. But there's one thing that we all have in common, and that is that we all need a Savior. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, you still need a Savior. Because according to James Chapter 3, verse 2, it says, we all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. We all need mercy. We all need grace. We all need to continue maturing in our faith. So, what is this passage all about? Well, it teaches us that Abraham, because he had faith in God, it produced in him obedience to follow God, and likewise, when he didn't have faith in God, his unbelief led him to disobedience. So faith leads us to obedience. Unbelief leads to disobedience. And God is faithful. God is faithful. And we're going to see that in, a few, in uh, next week's passage, Lord willing, that he doesn't abandon Abraham, that he's faithful to his covenant. And this morning, you're in one of three places Either this morning you're a moon worshiper. You're like Abram before God came to him. Well, I want to tell you, if you're, if you're apart from God, you've never put your faith in him, he's calling you right now. He's saying, come, come to me. Secondly, maybe you've already put your faith in, in God, but you're wandering down in Egypt. You're, you're walking in unbelief. God's calling you again. Turn back to me. And maybe right now you're in the land of Canaan enjoying his promises and you're walking by faith. I want to encourage you. It's going to be difficult. Don't give up. Keep on persevering because in the end, it will be worth it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.